guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. I hope everyone has had a wonderful week so far and that you enjoyed Monday's episode with my two friends, Vir- Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison from the Just Thinking podcast. A lot of you reached out to me saying how much you appreciated the interview and just the insight that they gave. I highly recommend checking out the episode if you haven't already. Today, I actually have another interview. So I have a lot of interviews lined up because we're talking about topics that I am very interested in getting other people's insight on. You guys know that I love to do my monologues and I love to give my analysis. And of course, I'm going to do that. But there are a a lot of experts out there on the subjects that we are discussing that I think offer uh, even better and closer insight into the issues that we are discussing. Today, we are going to discuss the Supreme Court case or really the set of cases um, under the uh, one name, uh, Bostock versus Clayton County that have to do with discrimination in the workplace based on sexual orientation and so-called gender identity. That was decided on Monday. A conservative, Justice Gorsuch, actually wrote the majority opinion. It was a 6-3 decision saying that the 1964 Civil Rights Act that said that you cannot discriminate in the workplace based on sex also applies to sexual orientation and so-called gender identity. And of course, this is not the decision that contextualists, um, that traditionalists when it comes to constitutional interpretation wanted, not just because of the interpretation itself, but the principle and the nature of legislating from the bench. That's what we're going to discuss today, and I am going to discuss that with Carrie Severino of the Judicial Crisis Network. She follows the Supreme Court closely, and uh, she has an interest in and brings awareness to the decisions that the court makes and has an interest in justices that follow the Constitution. And so we are going to analyze that case today and look at what it means. Before we get into that, I'm going to give you a little bit of my opinion before we actually get into the interview. But before we do, I want to tell you guys about Ashford University. So we've all got big dreams. We've got small dreams that are easy to tell people about because they're not too embarrassing. We're not afraid of rejection. And then we have the big dreams that we are uh, too scared to say out loud because we're afraid they might not come true. Or maybe we're a little bit embarrassed because we think that people uh, aren't going to encourage us. Well, Ashford University wants to help people accomplish their dreams, especially the dreams that require um, a, a bachelor's degree. So Ashford University's online bachelor's and master's degree programs allow you to learn on a convenient and flexible schedule. At Ashford, expert faculty teaches you real-world skills from real-world experience and online classes built for life's twists and turns. You can learn from home or wherever you feel comfortable, which is really nice, especially right now. You can pursue a degree in one of Ashford's 60-plus programs like business administration, healthcare administration, psychology, so many more with 24-7 access to your classroom, daily support and financial aid available. Ashford gives you the tools you need to help make your dreams a reality. So 
Dare to dream big. Your tomorrow starts today at Ashford University. There is no fee to apply or standardized testing required to enroll. That is a huge deal. So the barrier of entry, really low, and it's worth it. It's worth having this degree, at least in your back pocket, to be able to rely on when you're pursuing whatever opportunities you want to uh, pursue. So go to ashford.edu slash Allie. That's A-L-L-I-E. That is ashford.edu slash Allie. Not all programs are available in all states, so make sure you go to askford.edu slash Allie to learn more. Okay, so we're going to talk about this Supreme Court case. And what I just want to make clear before we actually get into the conversation with Carrie Severino, and we'll discuss this with her as well, but you have probably saw a, a lot of celebratory reactions to the decision of the Supreme Court saying, yes, of course, this is right. People shouldn't discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation and transgender identity. The issue is not whether or not we believe that it's right to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation and transgender identity. I would say the vast majority of employers, the vast majority of people in the workplace believe that you shouldn't discriminate based on these things and will not discriminate based on these things. I would say the vast majority of employers want the person who is best for the job, no matter who they are married to, no matter what they dress like. However, uh, the issue is not whether or not it's okay to discriminate, but whether or not this is the Supreme Court's job to uh, legislate from the bench. And of course, is it a correct decision? Not only that, but is it a correct decision to reinterpret what the 1964 civil rights law said uh, about sex? Is it okay to redefine sex to mean something else, to broaden it out uh, with moral implications? So the reason why this is contentious and why this is difficult for many Christians who believe that the Bible is the word of God, that uh, God created the heavens and the earth, therefore he is the authority over all that therefore he says what is and what isn't, and he created the male and female, and he defines marriage in one way, which is between one man and one woman. We believe that sexual orientation and so-called gender identity have moral implications attached to it that biological sex in and of itself uh, does not. And so it is not the same for the Christian who has this kind of biblical worldview or anyone who has this kind of moral worldview about gender and sexuality. It is not the same uh, to view someone based on sex and or uh, uh, view them based on sexual orientation or whatever gender they supposedly identify as. So there is a, a moral component to the sexual orientation that is not there in regards to sex for people with the traditional uh, scientific perspective on this stuff. So that is that is the problem here. It is not whether or not the court did not decide whether or not it is moral uh, to discriminate. They decided whether they they decided something that Congress was supposed to decide that was actually supposed to be legislated and hasn't been able to be legislated because it hasn't been the will of the majority of the people. It's very similar um, as the Obergefell decision. So you can still believe that transgender people, that gay people, should not be discriminated against in the workplace and still disagree uh, with the reasoning of this decision and uh, the principle behind the decision, which is that the court is able to legislate something that really should happen in Congress in on the state level. So I just want to I, I want to make that clear because it is 
obviously going to be uh, it, it, it's very obvious already that this is a conversation that says, oh, you know, uh, I don't really agree with how the court came about this. And then the other side says that you're a bigot, that you are denying the humanity of gay people and transgender people. And that is not the case at all. It is about constitutionality. It's also about religious liberty. Our, our religious people, our religious employers, our religious organizations going to be able to live out their biblical worldview in the workplace? Are they going to be able to say a man is a man, a woman is a woman, which is a biological fact? Are they going to be able to say these biological facts? They're not just religious statements. It's a biological fact. Are you going to be able to say that without being in violation of federal civil rights law? That should have been a decision that is made in legislatures. So, Uh, That is the problem that is before us. And again, as with so many things when it comes to social issues, we have to be able to remove ourselves from the emotionalism and from the high drama of these conversations and think logically, think constitutionally, of course, uh, think morally and realize this is not a conversation about whether it's right or wrong to discriminate. Again, you can believe that and still disagree with the constitutionality of this decision. Another reason why a lot of people are disappointed by this is because it was Justice Gorsuch who is a conservative justice. He is. I don't think it's a farce. He truly is a conservative justice, obviously appointed by President Trump, who wrote the majority opinion. I encourage you to read his opinion. I encourage you to read the dissent by Justice Alito. And uh, I also encourage you to read Kavanaugh's dissent as well. It uh, They lay out very good arguments that we'll actually discuss today with Carrie Severino um, for why this decision was made in an erroneous way. Uh, Now, before I get into my conversation with Carrie, I do want to tell you guys about one other sponsor, and that is ExpressVPN. You guys have heard me talk about them before. I love ExpressVPN. I use it on all my devices because it protects my data. There was a story that I read the other day that there are, it was a map that showed how many hacking attempts are happening from abroad uh, toward the United States and, and also towards South America, and it's crazy. It's like higher than it's ever been. So people want your data. They want your information. Uh, they want to know, you know, your internet traffic and, and all of that stuff that you really want to be confidential. And it's not going to be confidential unless you have something like ExpressVPN. It doesn't matter what internet service provider you have. Uh, they can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is just an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure server so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, I don't even realize that it's on. It's just running in the background. And then I see the little green shack at the bottom. And I'm like, oh, it makes me feel so much more secure to know that my data is safe. Uh, go to expressvpn.com slash Allie. That's A-L-L-I-E. Uh, get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That is expressvpn.com slash Allie to learn, learn more. Okay, without further ado, here is Carrie Severino. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. For everyone who does not know, can you tell them who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I'm the president of the Judicial Crisis Network, and we are dedicated to trying to help confirm judges who are going to be faithful to the Constitution and to the rule of law. Before that, I clerked for Justice Thomas in the Supreme Court. So I'm an avid follower of the, the, the cases coming down from the Supreme Court and kind of helping explain them for people. 
And that is exactly why you are here today. Can you give everyone just a brief summary of the case that was decided by the court on Monday? Yeah, so there were a set of cases together, and the question they were asking is whether the 1964 civil rights laws, which say you can't discriminate in employment based on a series of things, you know, on the basis of sex, on the basis of race, on the basis of religion, et cetera, um, whether that on the basis of sex then also means that it includes on the basis of sexual orientation and on the basis of gender identity. And the challenge with this here is we have a lot of federal laws and we have a lot of state laws that say specifically no discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or no discrimination on the basis of gender identity. The language in this statute that was being interpreted doesn't say that. It simply says on the basis of sex. And so what we saw coming out on Monday was a decision that then interpreted that concept of on the basis of sex so broadly that it swept in basically anything that has to do with sex, which is how they got in sexual orientation and uh, in transgenderism into that uh, previous law that for decades, none of the politicians who passed it, and for decades later, everyone acknowledged this law doesn't cover this territory. It's a concern because the revision of our laws is not for judges to do. That is for the legislature. And this is why Congress has many times discussed and debated, should we add sexual orientation to this law? Should we add gender identity? That is where that should be happening. It shouldn't ever be happening with the unelected men and women on our courts making those important decisions uh, for us. And Justice Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion, which may be to some people out there that might be a little bit surprising uh, because he is he has talked about being a textualist. Obviously, he was appointed uh, by President Trump. But for you, what was this a surprise? So on one sense, yes, it's surprising because I think this is his decision while it was framed in textualist terms, isn't a very good application of the philosophy of textualism. Right. It is sort of a surprise meaning textualism, which is not what Justice Scalia, his predecessor on the court, embraced. The idea that somehow a law suddenly means something different than everyone understood it to mean uh, when it was passed. Because we have to interpret things. You know, the, the legislators can't predict what people might in, read into their laws in the future. We only can deal with the words that they actually meant at the time. At another level, though, it's not entirely surprising because some of his questions during oral argument did seem to get hung up on this question of, well, if it's because of something having to do with sex, the word sex is in there, maybe that that stretch, stretches broad enough to cover this. So we saw some aspects of this of this. Uh, logic coming out in his questions during oral argument. Uh, Unfortunately, I I don't think that at the end of the day is the right textualist analysis. And Justice Kavanaugh in his dissent really kind of clarified, I think, with some good examples for the American people, what the original meaning actually is supposed to be. So it's not just you look up a dictionary definition of each word and then kind of cobble them back together like some you know online translation program. We know that those don't really work very well. Um, and the way people use language in real life is very different. So he t- talked about how statutes are interpreted, for example, a statute covering fruits. Does it cover a tomato? Even though botanically it's a fruit, most people don't consider tomatoes fruits. They think of them as vegetables. Right. And it, it legally, 
actually the same thing would apply. Because when people mean fruits, they mean a different kind of thing. They don't mean the botanical definition that Kott follows. He said, look at the term, for example, a three-pointer. Technically, a field goal in football gets three points. So maybe that's the three-pointer. But we know most people who, who are familiar with the English language and, and the sporting world understand a three-pointer almost always is referring to a basketball shot from beyond the three-point circle on the court. So in in the usage of these terms, we have to understand them as they were actually meant by people at the time. We don't get to kind of just pick apart the language and then put it back together. So the logic that Gorsuch gave, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but just to summarize, it was discriminating in the workplace on the basis of sexual orientation or so-called gender identity necessarily means discriminating on uh, discriminating toward biological sex because, uh, for example, you would not fire a woman for being married to a man. But if you fire a man for being married to a man or a man wearing a dress that a woman would wear, then that is, according to Gorsuch, um, sex discrimination. And so it is is that true? Is that the argument that he was trying to give? That's the argument he's making. I think there's a couple fallacies embedded in that. And the real difference, there's, there's a difference between discriminating because of sex, because you are male or female. Right. Um, and we, we're very familiar with that concept. And right. it happens both ways. The Supreme Court has said it applies to men just like it applies to women. Um, there, there's a difference between that and discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. It's a real thing. It happens, but it's not the same thing. Uh, and this is why so many laws that outlaw discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, they have language to right. do that. That's that's we have a specific term, as as Justice Kavanaugh also pointed out. He said, look, the, the Seneca Falls, the movement for women's liberation was very different than the Stonewall riots. I mean, they, they had they had a, they're different uh, movements. There are a lot of people who may belong to both, but it's a different principle at work here. We can't conflate the two. Uh, logically, it's just two different types of discrimination going on. Right. Can you tell us what this will mean? For example, women's sports or public restrooms or religious organizations or religious people that um, that 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 run a business because I, I'm I'm a Christian and so I know that there is obviously a difference between sex and sexual orientation for people who, you know, believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. There is a morality that is tied to sexual orientation that is not tied to sex. And so there presents a, a problem here. Can you can you tell us what it means? I know I asked a ton of questions in that one question, but can you tell us what this means in the way of religious liberty and in the way of just individual liberty, especially for women and girls? Yeah. So Justice Alito in his dissent, there were two dissents here, and his really went through a great list of the areas the court said it wasn't dealing with today. And it, OK, that wasn't the specific issue before, it, but the implications in all of these other area of law from this sea change in an understanding of what the word sex means are, are really widespread, as you kind of alluded to. There's questions of religious freedom, which if this change were being done in the legislative process, which is how our changes to laws are supposed to be done, you would see that generally balanced out by you know, an understanding of, okay, if you have a church, are they then required to hire someone who, who is living in a way that's at odds with the values they're teaching, or say a religious school, uh, same kind of principle. 
Uh, that unfortunately wasn't done by the court because that's, they, they can't make those kind of legislative compromises. Uh, you have questions like the question that arose in Hobby Lobby that are un- almost certainly going to come up. So, for example, in Hobby Lobby, uh, the Supreme Court upheld the right of Christian business owners not to have to, to pay for health care that violated their conscience, including abortions, abortifacient contraceptives. Um, in this case, now what happens? What Could, could uh, Christian business owners be forced to pay for sex change surgeries or cross-sex hormones that they also find morally problematic, but then be forced to fund for their employees. That's still an open question now. Uh, Questions about whether bathroom or locker room usage can be limited to members of a single biological sex. And there are real concerns about safety issues, about women who have experienced sexual violence themselves and then find themselves in a intimate environment like that with someone who is a biological male, however he may identify, is still a very threatening experience for many women. The future of women's sports is another serious question. If women's uh, sports teams, not just as we've seen at the school level, but now also professionally, because we're talking about employment law in this case, uh, are forced to hire men, biological men who identify as women, then competing on unequal footing with biological women, will we even be able to see women left in so-called women's sports? It's a, it, it has really long, broad uh, implications. And I think the court will be experiencing a veritable tsunami of litigation now following this because it leaves so many questions unanswered. It's kind of an illustration of how this is clearly not what the law always meant, because if, if we're seeing this much uncertainty now brought about by this change, it just illustrates, yes, this is a sea change in what the understanding of this term that's been around since 1964 uh, actually means. Justice Alito wrote the dissent, and I think that you or the uh Yes, he wrote the dissent, and I think that you already alluded to that. Would, can you summarize his his main objections uh, to the majority opinion? Well, I think he he starts out putting it very well. He said, "There's only one word for what happened in the majority opinion today, and that is legislation." That. This is what the the meaning of the word, again, by every politician who passed it, uh, by every court that interpreted it for the first many decades the law was around, is that on because of sex means because you are male or because you are female, not because of your sexual behavior or sexual orientation. As Justice Alito had asked during oral arguments, too, he said, wait a minute, how, how can this be? You don't actually have to know even the person's sex at all to make these discriminations. What if they said simply... I'm happy hiring someone who's heterosexual. I don't care if they're male or female, but I don't want to hire someone who is homosexual Mm. in this position. You don't have to know if it's a man or a woman. You just simply have to have to know uh, whether they are are living a homosexual lifestyle. And I think that is so he 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 pointed out the distinction. He also went through all of the challenges that are going to follow from this law. And uh, he he had a a litany of uh, dictionary definitions as well, saying, okay, look, this term has been interpreted for decades. And here's every dictionary you could possibly find to show you that sex simply did not ever mean sexual orientation. It does. It's not the same as sex as transgenderism. It, it has a separate meaning and trying to blur those meanings does not do service to the actual words of the statute or the English language. So I think one thing that people listening to this kind of need to 
understand is that we're not necess- we're not talking about whether or not it's right to discriminate. We're talking about uh, whether or not it is the job of the court to essentially, like you have said, legislate in this way, in the way that Congress hasn't been able to. Um, and I think another concern probably that people have when they're thinking through such a, a, a decision with such wide implications is, is what it not only has to do with uh, the First Amendment in regards to religious liberty, but also the freedom of speech. Someone, an employer uh, in the workplace saying, you know, a man is a man, a woman is a woman. Are they going to be in danger of being in violation of federal civil rights law? So this is something that Justice Alito's dissent pointed out, the real tension with First Amendment principles that's going on here, because you have jurisdictions like New York that are now hitting people with very heavy fines if they use a pronoun that someone uh, isn't the pronouns per- preferred pronoun that someone had. You could easily imagine an employer si- similarly having an issue where his employee could claim there was a hostile work environment, uh, not just for pronoun usage, but even potentially just for commentary that suggested he believed there is reality to biological sex. That That's a real risk. And at the end of the day, it's not, though, about the decisions on how do we run our our uh, civil rights law. That's something that is needs to be debated in the political spheres. That's something that Congress needs to weigh in on. And they have been debating. And there, there are actually laws that they've been discussing right now at passage. It's really a question of who decides. Is it our elected representatives that decide? That's how the Constitution set up our system. So we have to elect our legislators. Or is it unelected judges who serve for life terms, who have no accountability directly to the people, uh, who are making these decisions on what should be some of the most hotly debated policy issues? Not they're not they're not a, a an issue that is a legal question for a judge to decide. Mm. Do you have any advice or encouragement for what people who are worried about this and the implications of this should do? Obviously, voting is is not enough because people voted for President Trump and we got Gorsuch, who has made some good decisions. But this one obviously is disappointing. And uh, the, the judges are not elected officials, like you said. So what what can people do to make any kind of change or to to voice their opinion or dissent and things like this? Well, I think being willing to talk about concern about these decisions, it's very difficult in a world where, uh, you know, I've just seen the, the, the hit I've gotten on, on Twitter in the last 24 hours. You know, people who yeah. are having a hard time understanding that there's a there's a logical distinction between having a, co- a constitutional concern about a legal decision yeah. and hating people and being a bigot, you know, this is, right. we can't, we can't sink to uh, just reflexively demonizing anyone who we have a disagreement about, even if it's a serious one, we have to be able to debate these questions. But I do think that making sure we are heard at the polls is still the most important thing we can do. Look, the distinction between Justice Gorsuch and the kind of uh, judge that say a Joe Biden would nominate, this kind of person that Hillary Clinton would have put on the court is still incredibly dramatic. Right. Justice Gorsuch agrees with Justice Thomas on the court more than any other sitting justice. That is something that is a wide 
uh, gulf between him and the kind of person that, you know, Joe Biden would, would probably put someone on the court who is to the left of Justice Ginsburg. So while all of these men and women are fallible, I don't think this is something that was a, you know, a calculated move on his part to to try to do, you know, come up with a wrong decision. He simply has, I think, a mistaken approach to textualism in that case. There are decisions of Justice Scalia's that I disagree with, uh, that he came to conclusions, even, even uh, one of the foundational religious freedom decisions that I think most people on the right would say now he got wrong. That's simply a function of the fact that we have fallen men and women in these positions. You can't expect everyone to get every decision right. What we need to have, though, are judges who do take the text seriously. I think Gorsuch does. I think he, he confused it in this case, but I fully expect that going forward, we're going to see him continue in a, in a textualist and originalist uh, path. And I have to say the choice before us is really, do we want more justices like that? And remember Justice Kavanaugh, who also right. wasn't, he wrote a very uh, strong dissent in this case. Um, or would, do you want to see justices who aren't even going to have the pretense of trying to look at the text of the law, who are happy to embrace the idea that they can add new value to not just statutory language, but to the Constitution itself, that they can bring new things into that that um, founding document that our country has. That is a wide gulf. And I think uh, that's one that we have to ensure that we still have judges who believe that the Constitution means what it says and our laws mean what it says. Exactly. So voting still matters, especially in this presidential election. Uh, can you please tell everyone where they can find you and any other resources that you would like for them to check out? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at JCN Severino. I have a website at judicialnetwork.com. That's where JCN, my organization, is located, as well as on Twitter at Judicial Network. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carrie, for joining me. Thanks. Have a great day. What I think is interesting about this, I just want to add this commentary before we end the episode, is that the people who pay the price for this, obviously Christians are going to pay the price for this. Are they able to exercise their religious liberty in the public sphere? It seems like that's getting not only more and more dangerous but all, and more and more unpopular, but also more and more illegal. The left, because they're ideologues, are finding a way to subvert the Constitution to make sure that Christians aren't actually able to live out and speak about their faith in any kind of substantial way. Now, I don't want you to be worried about that. You should go listen to last Wednesday's episode, which was past the point of no return, where I remind us that the church is refined by fire. It's not destroyed by it. And that in most of the world and for most of history, uh, Christians have not had freedom of speech. They have not had freedom of religious expression. The American experiment is um, a reprieve from the tyranny that has tried to crush Christianity and the Christian church for so long. And we should be grateful for that. And we should continue to fight for that. But we also cannot be surprised one and we can also uh, not be scared into paralysis about the laws and the decisions that are coming down the pipeline that Christians um, are going to have to pay for but not only that uh, but decisions like this that say basically that you can identify as whatever gender that you want to and you have to be accepted into spaces that correspond with not your biological sex but the gender that you identify with so no matter what that is on on, on any day you have to be accepted into women's locker rooms you have to be accepted into women's restrooms you have to be accepted onto women's soccer teams lacrosse teams and all of that stuff uh the people who pay the price for that are 
women. And, you know, the left talks a lot about misogyny and internalized misogyny and deep-seated sexism and pervasive systemic sexism and all of this stuff. And, you know, it's really easy to kind of brush that to the side and say, oh, you know, that's not true. Women make the same as men do. Women have all the same rights that men do. Um, but it's I think it's actually true. I think that there actually is deep-seated misogyny in a, a lot of people. But it's not coming from the places that the left thinks it's coming from. It is coming from these movements that desire to completely eliminate and experience the existence and uh, the existence of women. They it, it desires to. Uh, eliminate any real meaning of what it means to be a woman and to have women's only spaces. I don't know if you guys saw that J.K. Rowling, she is obviously a leftist. She hates Donald Trump, but she has been labeled a turf or a trans-exclusionary radical feminist like Megan Murphy. If you've heard of Megan Murphy, she's a very interesting person to follow. She got kicked off Twitter for basically saying a man is a man and a woman is a is a woman. She is a feminist. She is on the left side of the aisle, but she believes in the uh, existence of biological sex and the importance of recognizing biological sex and biological women being different than men. Well, J.K. Rowling came out and said the, the, said the same thing, and she just got blasted. She got death threats. People tried to dock her. These uh, transgender activists tried to come after her, of course, burning her books and all of the crazy stuff that fascists always do, by the way, um, just for stating that, hey, a woman is a woman and women have different experiences than men and they have different experiences than people who identify as transgender women. You just do. If you have not read the book Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy, and if you're a part of the Women's Book Club, and if you're not part of the Women's Book Club, you should. You should join on Facebook. But if you're a part of it, we are going to read it at some point. But she, her argument is basically that the Christian worldview values the sanctity of the physical body of biology much more than the secular worldview does. The secular worldview says biology doesn't really mean anything. It's subject to what our inner soul really wants or, or really says. It's subject to uh, what we feel. The Christian worldview says, no, the body biology means something. It means something and it is good and it has a purpose. It has not just, uh, it's not just a biological reality, but it has social implications. It has moral implications attached to it. And we actually think people are, are born in bodies that are, uh, that are good, that are purposeful, that are intentional, that are beautiful, that are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that they're uh, there is a specific purpose and intention that God has for physical bodies, whereas the left believes that biology uh, is really arbitrary based on social whims and based on personal whims. And we are seeing that they are trying to push that gender subjectivism on everyone else and women are going to pay for it because you can try all day to say that sex is arbitrary, that it's not real. There's no such thing as biological sex that woman doesn't mean anything. Woman just means whatever you want it to mean. But truth is a beach ball. Truth, biological truth, especially, it is a beach ball. You can try to push it under the water as much as you want to. You can get the entire beach to get on this beach ball and push it under the water, and you'll be able to for a little bit. But either the beach ball is just going to pop or it's going to keep on coming back up. That is what happens when you try to suppress the truth. And in that time, when you are pushing the beach ball under, uh, people will suffer. 
People are going to suffer. It, people always suffer when you try to go against or enact policies that go against human nature. Nothing that you ever do, no study that you ever publish will ever be able to discount the basic biological reality of male versus female. You're just not going to be able to get rid of that. You can see from the womb that males and females are different. They're different down to their DNA. If you've ever been around children, male and female children raised in the exact same way with the exact same toys, the exact same clothes, with the exact same colors around them, talk to the exact same way, act differently. They are different. I am around babies, boy, uh, boy babies and girl babies, and they are different already at only a few months old. You are never going to be able to deny that or change that with any kind of social policy. And when you do, people will suffer. And because women are physically weaker than men, that's another difference that apparently the left doesn't want to accept. Uh, we will be the victims of the eraser of women or the attempt to erase women and allowing men, biological men, into protected spaces for women. Women are going to uh, be the victims of that. So these people who say that they care about women's rights and want to protect women and all they mean by that, by uh, by the way, is allowing women to kill their kill their children. Like that's their idea of empowerment, their idea of feminism, which is so empowering and apparently equalizing is allowing women to kill their children and uh, allowing men into women's locker rooms. Super empowering. Empowering. I can't. I can't imagine why feminism today's feminism isn't more successful and effective. Why it's not attracting more people. Anyway, those are the thoughts that I have for today. We will be back here on Friday. 